Welcome to the Radical Reverend Show, and of course, uh, we've just experienced Halloween, or if you're listening on podcast, you're about to experience Halloween. So we're podcast on Saturday and Sunday, but then on the radio at CIUT 89.5 FM on Monday. So however you're listening to this, uh, we're so delighted that you're here. And of course, you're listening to one of the few progressive voices in uh, religion, faith-based radio shows uh, in the country. So uh, when our fundraising drive comes up in a couple of weeks, please do give generously. Today, I'm delighted to have on the show uh, for our first segment, uh, Rabbi Elise Goldstein from City Shul. She's a neighbor of mine because my day job is I'm the minister at Trinity St. Paul's Center for Faith, Justice of the Arts, and we're kitty corner from each other. So uh, Rabbi Elise, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be here. So first of all, I haven't talked to you in ages. Uh, tell me, what has City Shul been doing since COVID? How have you been since COVID? What's happening in your life? Well, this is the new normal, which is very not normal, especially for Jewish people who don't generally, uh, synagogues don't generally use technology on the Sabbath. So our entire way of being has changed. We are now, of course, uh, having Zoom mitzvahs, you know, Zoom bar mitzvahs. And um, we're having our Shabbat services on Zoom. And we tried a, a couple of live services when the province was still, uh, when it was warmer and the province was allowing it. Um, but we quickly um, grew to uh, see that even though you're allowed to do something, it doesn't mean you should do something. And we felt that it was <clears throat> uh, a bad role modeling for a synagogue to have 100 people out in a park. Even on our holiest day of the year, which was Yom Kippur, we had a live service organized. We had 99 people registered. Um, and we we decided to cancel it because we said, although the province allowed for exceptions for religious gatherings and still does, uh, you know, in Judaism, the value of saving a life goes beyond all rules and all laws. And we thought, gee, I guess the province believes that religious people can't get the virus when we gather. So we're not gathering in public anytime soon, in person, I should say, anytime soon. Yeah, I mean, let's talk about that for a minute, because we felt the same way. We were open, I think, for only three weeks there. And then as soon as the numbers started rising, we immediately shut down and went back online. But I mean, according to the province, um, you know, our, our sanctuary is about the same size as your sanctuary. I mean, we we could have like 250 people there or something ridiculous. Uh, and, you know, this this would be ludicrous. Are there no rules against singing or anything? Um, I, I mean, again, uh, I don't know who they're catering to, but certainly, uh, uh, certainly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, certainly we feel the same way that you do, um, although not all of our neighbors in the faith do. Um, and we're being safe rather than sorry. So, uh, so you've been online. Have you been zooming it or live streaming? How do you? Well, we we, we every Sabbath we're on Zoom, um, and that's we've got the system down. We have some beautiful virtual choir uh, videos of our own folks singing, um, and we have some interesting uh, ways of using breakout rooms. 
And we have interesting ways of using the chat function. For example, if you're wanting a prayer for, uh, for healing, a blessing for healing for someone you love, you put the name in the chat function and people watch those names scroll by. It's very meaningful and powerful. We did a one live stream only, and that was for Erev uh, Kol Nidri, which is the most important service of Yom Kippur. So our most important service of the year. We live streamed from the sanctuary in masks with plexiglass barriers. Um, it was very important for our congregation to see our Torah scrolls again, which they haven't seen now since March, and to see our setup and our beautiful Ten Commandment tapestry. It was very meaningful. It was an, an hour and a half, and I'm glad that's I'm glad that we did it, and I'm glad that it's over, because it was an hour and a half of looking at an empty sanctuary, um, and missing everyone terribly, you know. And the bittersweet moment of here's our Torah, and we did have we did have 15 people, you know, in this sanctuary that can hold 800, um, so that we could have people hold the Torah for the live stream, um, and people loved it. So one we did it once, and once is good. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've been doing live streaming, we've taped, uh, and now when we have a guest preacher, we're going to go to Zoom and try that out as well. So, I mean, we've kind of done a mix, and I think at the end of, of this, we're going to vote and just stick with one. Uh, there are advantages and disadvantages to both. I mean, there's nothing beats the camaraderie of Zoom and having all those faces and being able to connect and, pe and people taking part that way. Um, but then people also miss to see the church, you know, they miss the backdrop, they miss the musical quality of being there. So it, yeah, I hear you. It, it's tricky. Um, but I think we're probably going to end up where you are. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Because you've, you know, again, when you talk to congregants, you know, they're fans of everything. So it's exactly. tricky. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, mainly what I wanted you on for, and I'm talking to Rabbi Elise Goldstein of City Shul, is to speak about, um, well, a few things. Uh, first of all, Halloween. Um, what, I mean, I, I, it's this idea that, you know, the, the, the ghosts of the spirits of the dead walk the earth in some way, shape or form. Um, Give us a, a Jewish take on all of this. Elise. Oh, my goodness. Well, <laughs> first of all, let me warn you. I am the Grinch who stole Halloween in the Jewish community. I can tell you that much. I have actually written articles which have, uh, you know, made my children distraught. But um, uh, I cannot understand one iota of what Halloween is about or for or I don't see its worth, its value, especially this year. And I'll tell you why. And it's not just a Jewish point of view. It's actually an, an ecological point of view, a health-wise point of view. Um, first of all, it's it has no ties to the Jewish calendar whatsoever. So I wouldn't say Jews don't celebrate Halloween. That's not fair. I can say if it was a Christian holiday like Christmas or Easter, that's a, a more clearer uh, thing I can say. You know, Jews celebrate Thanksgiving. That's a secular holiday of thanks. That makes sense in the Jewish worldview. But to celebrate a holiday whose goal is to have children knock on the door and say, give me candy, is so antithetical to the Jewish value of, you know, giving uh, charity and making sure everybody has enough to eat. And it's antithetical to the gimme, gimme, gimme culture, which we live in. Um, so Judaism would say, if you're going to do Halloween, you should actually go door to door and give people something, not get something, right? Um, and so 
And that's actually, we have a holiday in the spring called Purim when we get dressed up in costumes and we literally go door to door giving people things. You have to give three gifts to three people on Purim. Um, and that's that's our door to door. So um, I see, I don't understand any holiday whose goal is to make us frightened of death, frightened of corpses, um, frightened. And, and in this, in this violent society, I must say, do I really need to see plastic bloody arms and legs all over my neighbor's lawns? Like, honestly, I open the newspaper and that's all I see, blood and guts and gore and violence and graveyards and death. And I would love a holiday that celebrates life, to be honest with you. Um, and so, no, in Judaism, we're not afraid of the dead. We don't believe that ghosts are harmful things that roam the earth and you have to appease them by giving candy to children. So, And one more Grinch-like thing I can say, which is to buy store-bought candy, which at the best of times, I didn't want my children to have in excess, okay? In the old days when I was a child and we went to neighbors we knew and we got a home-baked cupcake. It was like a labor of love. It was sweet. We made our own costumes. We didn't go to the dollar store and buy costumes, right? We, Our moms or we made our own costumes and we had a homemade muffin from our neighbor and we called it a day. So for me, you know, that we go get store-bought costumes made in China that have to be landfilled eventually and give out store-bought candy that, uh, you know, children really don't need uh, more of. I don't know, convince me, tell me that this is a worthwhile event. And also one other thing, I come from a tradition that has a million holidays, as you well know, Sherry, right? We have a holiday like every week, besides for the Sabbath day, we have a holiday like every month. The only month that there isn't a Jewish holiday happens to be November or the end of October, November. So I understand why people who let's say don't celebrate a ritualistic holiday from Christmas to Easter, right? might feel like they need another ritualistic event. I understand why people, even more so secular people who neither don't even do Christmas or Easter, right? Need something, right? To like ritualize the year. But we just had Thanksgiving, which is a real holiday, which has real value. So for me, between Thanksgiving and Hanukkah, I don't need anything else. Thank you very much. <laughs> and I'll have the Sabbath every week. So there you go. There's the Grinch who stole Hanukkah. Uh, sorry, the Grinch who stole Halloween. And uh, and people can be upset and Jews can be upset and say, she doesn't represent men. All Jews love to go trick-or-treating with their kids, you know, whatever. That's that's who I am. That's where I stand. I love it, Elise. Keep, keep standing, keep being. Um, so in the in the Christian tradition, it's it's not you know, biblical at all either. Uh, but there is there is this idea that we just celebrated called All Saints Sunday. And since the Reformation, so I'm speaking as a Protestant here, the idea was that there's a priesthood of all believers. You don't need somebody to get to God. You have a direct access. And um, and we're all saints. You know, you can't work your way to God either. There's not holy people and unholy people, blah, blah, blah. Um, so so it, in our church, we tend to remember those who we've lost in the congregation that year. We tend to do that as being our saints. Um, 
and uh, people bring pictures, et cetera, et cetera. And we do something around that. Um, but but the one thing you didn't touch on, which I thought you were going to go gusto on, was the fact that we're in the middle of COVID. And, and there's a whole other reason not to go oh, well, knocking yeah. on doors as well, you know. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And 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 I'll I'll just go even further if you'll let me. Okay. Go for it. Obviously, in COVID, I don't favor children going door to door, knocking on doors, and getting things from people. Let, let can we add two other layers to this, which nobody really thinks about? One is the feminist layer, and one is the uh, anti-Semitic imagery layer. Okay, so on one layer we have these witches, hags, old ladies that kids are supposed to be scared of, and you'll notice they all have hooked noses which is a medieval caricature of Jews. So again, tell me, what are we doing? What are we telling our young children about old women? What are we telling our children about people who practice, who practice, for example, the Wiccan way, okay? And we're supposed to be afraid of them. They're supposed to be awful, evil, dark, you know? It, there's so many images, so much symbolism in this holiday that has gone wrong, that has gone haywire for me. And by the way, the imagery of Jews as witches in the Middle Ages um, comes back to me every year when I see all these images of, of, of women, old women on broomsticks. Um, so, you know, for a while we rehabilitated our witches with Harry Potter and all of the that imagery, but I, I just... Man, if I was Wiccan, I'd be out there protesting Halloween all over the place. That's true. You know, I, I hear you. And it's uh, it's shocking in some respects. Absolutely. Let's talk about some of the beliefs behind it, though, this idea of ghosts and spirits and even after death. Talk to us about the Jewish idea about afterlife, ghosts, etc. cetera. Sure. What's there? Sure. So it's it's actually very complicated because, as you know, First of all, it's very hard to say the Jewish belief in anything because there's Orthodox Jewish belief and there's Reformed Jewish belief and they're often different. Uh, although we're one community, we're not different uh, religions, we're different sects with different beliefs. Um, so uh, generally Judaism doesn't have a lot to say about the afterlife because we're a very this worldly religion. So for example, you do good deeds in this world not to get into the next world, but because this world is the only world we know is real. So we better be good at the, right now. What we can see in front of our eyes is what Jews really concentrate on. So we do believe that the soul lives on. We believe that the soul um, you know, returns to God who gave it. God in a way is the great storehouse of all souls. Um, and uh, we name our children after the departed loved ones we have. And in that way, we believe that the soul of the loved one lives on in the child that it's named after. Um, but we don't have this system of like uh, creatures roaming the earth, you know, who look like zombies and <laughs> or white Casper the ghost types. Now, you know, in Jewish folklore, of course, there's there's the Dybbuk, which is like a demon. And there's the golem, which is like that clay statue that comes to life, a Frankenstein, if you will. Um, so we have like great Jewish literature and folklore about these scary tales. You know, we have Jewish scary tales or campfire tales or whatever. Um, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's something that we concentrate on, and it's certainly not normative. Um, 
I wanted to say something about you. You said that your community uses this time to celebrate the lives of those who have gone and to remember them with pictures and a service and photos. And I love that. And if that's what Halloween was about, you know, really out there in the world, I'd be so much more comfortable with it. We we Jews have four times a year that we do that. We have memorial services called Yisker. And one we just passed on Yom Kippur is the biggest one of the year. So again, you know, I, I wish that was what this ritual was about. And it wasn't about scaring people and getting candy, giving them candy. I love that idea that our loved ones who are gone live on with us in ritualistic and real and manifested ways. Uh, speaking, of course, to uh, Rabbi Elise Goldstein here on the Radical Reverend Show. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we're talking about Halloween and, you know, all of that. Um, but I also wanted to talk to you about end times, the apocalypse, because this is very much, I mean, we're living in a pandemic. We've got a climate crisis. Uh, people are thinking, I believe, about death the way they don't maybe normally, and we have such a death denying culture, you know, it's always a mistake, um, an accident or a mistake. It never happens, seems to happen naturally. Um, what about this idea that there is going to be an end time for all of us? Maybe say something about that. That's also a very good question because again, Judaism doesn't say a lot about that. Um, we are waiting for the messianic era to come. Um, as you know, Jews don't believe the Messiah has come. Um, and that's true across all the Jewish sects, um, Jewish uh, denominations, I should say, not sects. And uh, so we're waiting for that better time, that messianic era. Um, and we do in our prophets, of course, have the end of days, that note, that, that, that um, image of the end of days. And for us, that's the time to come, which is the better time. And so we don't necessarily wait for some great um, Gog and Magog, uh, you know, um, end time warfare battle. Um, we don't have a, a, an antichrist notion in Judaism or image or, or character. Um, so, but in Reform Judaism, we have a very strong uh, teaching that the only way the Messianic era will come is if we bring it, that we're partners with God in bringing the Messianic era. And so we have to do good in this world of this time to bring that messianic era. Um, you know, Orthodox Jews believe in one specific Messiah to come unnamed as of yet. Uh, and reformed Jews believe in a messianic era. So end of days, yes, the prophets definitely talk about it. Um, but we don't, we don't sort of um, play number games to find out when it's going to be or how it's gonna look, or we certainly are all praying for a better time. You know, in a, in a strange and small way, Sherry, I think that uh, the end of COVID will feel messianic <laughs> when we can all go back to a restaurant or see our grandchildren in the United States, if I could be honest, um, or, you know, uh, get on a plane and go to your, your cousin's wedding <laughs> wherever it is, you know, we're going to all look at that and go, gee, that feels really messianic. That feels like the days to come that we're praying. About. 
one of the things that I, I, I've said in, uh, in our congregation is, you know, all of a sudden we get what a luxury. I mean, we who have been so privileged to worship together without overt threat in the city and country for the, for the most part, um, you know, suddenly get how precious it is, what a luxury it is, what a privilege it is. We haven't, you know, this generation doesn't really kind of, many of us haven't really felt that. And now we feel that now we get it, you know. One of the possibilities for the end of days, as we envision it, is, you know, it says in the in the prophets, it says, and on that day, by Yom Hahu on that day, God will be one and God's name will be one. So on that day, we'll all come together and get it, that there's one God, no matter how you envision that God or image that God or understand that God, there's one unifying force in the universe we can call that force different names. We can see that force differently. But there's one uniform, unifying force in the universe. And on that day, on that great day to come, we'll all understand that we're all human and nothing else matters. Everything else has been in our way. And so if the learning we're taking from this COVID reality can get us closer to that understanding, if we can, if we can in COVID, finally see our basic humanity, which is what unites us and doesn't divide us, then maybe we're going to come closer to that great day. If we're changed, if we're if we let this experience change us and transform us into better people than we were before last March, you know, as a community, then we'll come out of this, I think, closer to that great day when God will be one and God's name will be one. And that great day, I'm just, you know, asking the questions, in that great day will be on earth or this will be in some other reality. What do you have to say about that? Because that would be the obvious question. The prophets don't answer that question. The prophets just say on that great day, God's name will be one. And they don't, that's the end of the verse. So <laughs> anything else is interpretation. I certainly hope it happens here first. <laughs> would be nice. It would be nice, Elise. Uh, speaking to Rabbi Elise Goldstein here on the Radical Reverend Show. Um, we just have a few minutes left, but, uh, you know, on the radio, this this show is the Monday before momentous event, talking about momentous events, is the American election. And so I just wanted to get your take on that. I mean, talk about the end times and the fears and yada, yada. Um, I mean, there's been a lot of that in the air. Um, nobody really knows. But but what are you hearing? What are you feeling What's coming up for you when you look at what's happening south of the border? This is so huge. It's so huge. First of all, all of us who have family and friends south of the border are really worried about the rights of both women and, and LGBTQ people. Um, so deeply, so deeply worried about what a wrong turn in this election could mean for those people we love and respect. And even if there's no one in our lives who is a member of either one of those communities as a as a decent human being we have to we have to reach out and say we have to protect those rights with whatever uh, we can even here in Canada reaching out I'm reaching out to my colleagues in the United States uh, you know in whatever way I can support them should those rights be under attack you know what way can we be helpful that's number one number two as Jews I've said this many many times when it comes to Canadian elections so I'll say it for any of your listeners in the United States who might be uh, listening and who might be Jewish. 
do not be one issue voters. Do not be one issue voters. Do not say, well, this particular candidate seems to be good for Israel or seems to be good for the Jews or has a Jewish relative. So what, right? Let us look at a track record of decency and fine character and what we Jews would call a mensch. Maybe you've heard that word, right? A decent, fair, um, loving, compassionate human being. And let's decide on our leadership based on those Jewish values. And everything else will fall into place. I feel confident. Everything else will fall into place. Support for the Jewish community, support for Israel, uh, working against anti-Semitism. It will all fall into place when we have a mensch in the White House. That's what I would say. I mean, it's it's actually terrifying. And, uh, you know, uh, there was a series, I, I don't know whether you saw it, Philip Roth, about if Lindbergh had won the election on yes, Netflix, yes. which was genuinely terrifying. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, the rise of neo-Nazism, the rise of the ultra-right, rise of white supremacy uh, must send shockwaves through the Jewish community. I can't imagine it. It, it does. And Sherry, just remember, it was just two days ago that we marked the second anniversary of the massacre at Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, the anti-Semitic murder in cold blood of Americans because they are Jews. It is unthinkable. It is unthinkable that that happened. And so if we don't you know, take that memory into our hearts and, and really make it live, when we go into the voting booth to the, my American voting friends, then then there's a lot of uh, a lot of pain that is not being recognized. So yes, the right person in the White House will speak clearly against those kind of horrific um, moments and would disavow, in no uncertain terms, neo-Nazism, white supremacy, anti-gay, anti-female, anti anything that makes us less than full human beings. And that is what I pray, I pray so strongly for this coming week for the American election, that American decency once again shows its face. Yes, it's uh, it's, it's pretty frightening um, to think of Trump being returned. I, I just will say it out loud. Uh, because of the dog whistle kind of politics that he's engaged in. Uh, are you he hearing people, because uh, I am hearing people uh, from, from friends of various faiths in the States saying, we're kind of out of here if we can be, if that happens, or we don't want to stick around. Are you hearing any of that? Yeah, I don't know how real that is. And I don't know how, you know, how much is Canada going to be a, a place of refuge for people, but, but we're going to do what we can in Canada to help those in the United States whose rights are going to be taken away if the wrong candidate gets elected. And so um, I pray I pray that that is not needed, not necessary, but if it means driving to the border and bringing people over for the, for the, for the medical assistance that they need for abortions, for the weddings they get to have as gay couples, whatever it means, I know there are Canadians ready to help. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a, a good note to end on. I know the government just announced that they're going to be upping the number of immigrants post-COVID, of course, 
That's positive. Despite Halloween, we're going to go out, uh, uh, at least on a very positive note. Uh, speaking, uh, and it's been a delight to uh, Rabbi Elise Goldstein. You can find her at City Shul and uh, just look online if you need to. So take care. Have a wonderful week and survive Halloween, Elise. Survive it. <laughs> Thank you so much. This was a pleasure. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Welcome back to the Radical Reverend Show. And of course, today we are all about, well, not all about, we're going to talk about other things too, but we're certainly somewhat about Halloween because it's either just about to happen if you're hearing this on podcast, or it's just happened if you're listening to it on the radio on CIUT 89.5 FM. And just a note about that, we're coming into our fundraising season at CIUT and being the only alternative radio station left in our GTA please uh, get ready to give generously. Um, for the second half of our show, you, you heard, of course, just from Rabbi Elise Goldstein from City Shul. And now I have on one of our regular faith panelists, Fiz Amir, uh, and she's going to be talking to us from the Muslim point of view about all things, I, I was going to say all things death, but that sounds so <laughs> depressing. But I will start with all things Halloween. Um, so Fiz, welcome to the Radical Reverend Show again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. So, so in the Muslim community, talk about Halloween. How's Halloween viewed? What, what do you think about it? What do you do? And I know there's, you know, a billion, more than a billion Muslims, and you can't speak for everybody. And Elise made that point. But, but in your experience of Islam, what's the take? Well, I guess it's, you know, historically, um, if it depends on what you believe the roots of Halloween are, right? So I guess if you see it as, um, have origins in sort of um, say, satanic worship or anything like that, then people would see that, no, this is not something we should engage in. Um, so yeah, definitely there's, there's, there's a group of people who believe that. Um, and I guess like for me also, we didn't really take part in it just because um, it's just not really a, a, anything of our tradition, right? So growing up, it's not really something that we did. Um, but yeah, now it's like, I, it's about candy, I guess. And it's about, and Halloween is canceled this year, unfortunately. Um, but it was a time when our neighbors could come around and, you know, you get to chat for a little bit. Um, so from that angle, you know, I, I can see that it's just, it's just fun for people. Um, but it does bring up these bigger dis dis discussions about what, what we believe about the unseen and the afterlife and, you know, what are what are what are our belief systems around that, and how much do those belief systems really impact how we live right now, right? And I think those are important. Did your kids dress up? They did. I'd say the youngest one more. Like my youngest, kind of it, my my older ones always tell me he got the best childhood because we were all really lax parents and we were all invested. And you know, his older sisters are quite a bit older, so they also played a sort of a parental role. <laughs> so yeah, he did. Um, he, I think he did Black Panther last year. Um, and Ninja is always a go-to. Um, but yeah, I guess in some ways we don't really do like the ghouls, right? There is, there is an element for us that feels like too real about that world and not something that we really want to emulate. 
So yeah, I guess there is a conscious decision to sort of stay away from that because why is, why is that something you would want to perpetuate, right? So um, yeah, we've never done kind of really gross faces and serial killers and we've sort of stayed away from that whole realm um, because there is something for us that's very real about it. And uh, we just want to not be associated <laughs> in any way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Elise raised this thing. She said that, you know, this, she wasn't speaking for old Jews, of course, but she said she was the, the Grinch that uh, the Halloween Grinch, because she said we see so much death and blood in the paper, you know, and on the news and on social media. Why would we want to see it on our front lawns or costume it, you know? And, and she also made the right. point about, you know, there've been being some, you know, like, very anti-feminist, you know, like old ladies or hags and witches. And, and she even pointed, which I hadn't really thought of before, but it's true from the middle ages, you know, this idea where, where there's a lot of anti-Semitism, but there still is in uh, areas. Um, and she said, you know, this idea of the hooked nose, witch was mm -hmm. a way of targeting Jews in Christian countries. So yeah, um, I get it. I mean, yeah, why be ghoulish? <laughs> the world is ghoulish enough. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point about what is considered um, ugly and horrendous, right? What are what are the signifiers of those things? And they're so culturally specific. Um, so yeah, definitely something to think about. We don't want to um, perpetuate those kind of stereotypes and, and, and animosities without even knowing it. Before we get into the other topics, because I haven't talked to you for a while and, it, you know, we're all in um, COVID country now. So so what's that looking like at mosque? What's it looking like in terms of worship? What's happening in, in the Muslim community? Yeah, I mean, uh, the mosque that I go to, I did attend in the summer where they had limited capacity. Um, and you have to register ahead of time. Um, I went to a few sessions. I, I was really apprehensive about it. I, I kind of felt it was an unnecessary risk that people were taking. Um, but in the summer, because, you know, I did have more time and my, my youngest was home and I would like to take him when I can, because usually he's in school on Fridays, which is our, our main day of congregating. I did take it and I was impressed that there was, um, you know, they did distance, they did tape out spots where you could go. They asked people to bring their own prayer mats to carry your shoes with you. They had sanitization at the door. So I have to say, I was impressed with the way it was handled. Um, but because of the mosque that I go to, um, this, it's such a small space and it was mostly men that were there. So, um, uh, the, they made obvious, of course, if you, if you're going, they made space for you. But I think what's been happening little by little is that women have just been opting not to go because, um, sort of foregoing their spot because they know that there's only 60 people that can ultimately be there at a time. They've also had multiple, um, uh, in, uh, multiple chutbahs, so multiple sermons to spread it out. So there's a first one and there's just a different person who would give the second one. Um, so that's been happening. But I haven't been actually since August. Um, also because my time, I can't go on Fridays. But um, yeah, I think that we're in a situation where we're peaking and you know we're, we're coming onto a second peak, which is worse than the first one. And we have to be very careful um, about how we proceed from what I know, uh, from just what I see online, the mosques are continuing to do as they did. I don't think they've increased their capacity. They've they've not allowed um, seniors to come and children under 10 to come. Um, but also that that keeps women out too, doesn't it? Because they're the caregivers and if their children can't come, they won't be coming. Um, so Has there been an online version? There is, there is, yes. Yes, they do live stream. Um, so people do generally watch when they can. And you still have at-home worship? 
yeah ongoing yeah, exactly yeah. um and you're all good and that's that's good to speaking to Fizamir, uh, uh who's an activist uh professor well yeah well a student not quite a professor yet well a student, okay. yeah <laughs> but you are a teacher you are yes, a teacher yes. and you uh, well you're a professor just not you know that's not your official title yet but you'll get there so we know you will <laughs> thank you we know so. you will um and so let's get back to to talking about uh islam and first of all and death and and afterlife you know again what are some of the teachings around around that yeah i mean we we do believe that there's multiple stages of existence so death is not the end Right. We do believe that there is a time that you're waiting for the last day to come where where God will decide where you go. Right. What your ultimate eternal fate will be. Um, So, of course, there is fear around death as being um, an end of this life. But it was very interesting that um, I, I listened to a talk the other about a week ago where the imam was talking about birth. And, and, and he said, you know, the difference is that when when you come into this life, you're crying, but everybody else is joyful right? Because they know what's coming for you. Whereas, you know, when you leave this world, often you are in relief and everybody around you is, is crying, right? So there's this sense that if, if you've done good, if, you, if you've lived a life of, of, of a principled life where you've tried your best, that you, you really don't have anything to fear, right? What's coming is actually going to be a relief. It's just going to be another stage. Um, and, and there's nothing to fear, and, you know, that that's, that's not necessarily how I was brought up, <laughs> but that's kind of where, you know, we're, we're, we're going towards. And, and, you know, the, the more I do my own readings and analysis, I believe in God's mercy. I believe in God understanding that we are trying and really um, that the, the blessing and the dignity is in the effort. Right. And in terms of, you know, ghosts and spirits that walk the earth, is there any thought about that? Yeah, well, we believe that humans um, are not the only creation. There's also an un- unseen creation that we call jinn, right? And they're made of fire. And there's our, our belief system is that um, Satan himself was a jinn, right? And he and not not that jinns are all evil. It's just another creation that is made. We're made. Humans are made out of clay, and jinns are made out of fire. And there are jinns among us that we don't see. That you know, they may live in our homes. They're just going about their own daily business. And don't um, interact with the human world, right? And it's also discouraged to interact with them just because it's a realm that we're not aware of. We may interact with somebody who does not mean good for us. Um, so there is evidence people, and it's interesting because when we always hear stories about our ancestors and our family back home, it seems like everybody's had some kind of encounter with Jin. Um, I actually believe I have when I was very, very young. Um, I don't like to think about it. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, I believe that I, I I feel like I have, and and um, the more I think about, it, I was like, either this was my imagination, but I'm, but, but uh, yeah, I hear so many stories of my father talking about things that he's encountered, my mother-in-law um, at a young age feeling she's encountered things. So I guess there are glimpses into that world every now and then. Um, I don't know. If, I wonder either it doesn't happen in North America. Of course, there are gin everywhere around the world, but I wonder if we're just not in tune with that. Um, that part, like we just don't slow down. We're not as connected to, to notice. So I'm, I'm always curious about why we don't hear as much about it here. But we certainly hear about hauntings. Yes, I mean, true. You just have to turn on your TV and there'll be a million movies about hauntings That's true. and That's ghosts true. and spirits. Um, That's true. So is there, and, and from what you've said, this, this thought that, you know, um, 
they're there and they don't, and then sometimes you have these glimpses uh, is, is, is kind of beautiful. I mean, I think especially children seem to be more, more open to other realities than, than adults are at times. Yeah. And I, and I do remember reading um, sort of, it was actually just a Twitter thread about people who had talked about experiences that their children had um, narrated. So under four, most of them were under four years old of either talking about another life or about seeing something in their room or, and not scared in the least, but just talking about another person that would come and visit every day. Um, and of course the parent is freaking out of well, what is this child talking about? And in some cases, you know, they would describe this person and it would turn out to be a grandparent that they hadn't met before right? That they could identify in a photo, but the child had never met. Um, so yeah, I think there is sort of a, a perception that we lose as we age um, that young, yeah, that, 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 that children still have. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about something else. And that is um, end times or the apocalypse, or, I mean, we're dealing in the middle of a pandemic here and everybody's quite rightly concerned and a bit afraid for their own and their family's health but but also climate the climate crisis really and the sort of the tick-tock of that clock um, which mm. governments don't seem to be listening to at all or doing much about um, is there a sense in Islam about the end of the human species is there a sense of a final reckoning for everyone uh, is there something like that in in both the Quran and also in the practice yeah, I mean, we do have the signs, you know, what we'd call the signs of the last day, right? Um, I guess what concerns me about those is you can find those signs if you're looking for them, right? But I guess, but also I, I can see that, right? We can, we can see a real degradation of everything right now. Um, but a beautiful um, hadith that I draw on, where uh, that, that I often draw on is where the Prophet, peace be upon him, had said that even if you feel the last day is coming and you're about to plant a tree, continue to plant it, you know, go ahead with that, with that action. And I think that that is something that we all need to increasingly draw on um, to not get into this area of despair and hopelessness. And you're right, like um, the end of the planet, I think every day we see more um, information about how the ice caps are not freezing this year, how, you know, whatever we thought was going to happen is happening at actually happening at a much more accelerated pace. Um, and, and it is easy to fall in despair. And I think the, the goal is, again, to, to think about our effort, right? What are we putting in? And, and some of the signs are, are quite clear where there's, um, you know, rampant killing, where actually the leaders are the most corrupt, where your leaders will actually be the most corrupt and um, unaccountable of everybody, right? And where um, human life will be worth nothing. Um, so a lot of these signs where, you know, I guess we could say have been happening throughout history, um, are just so exacerbated right now. Yeah, they are. Uh, and it's interesting. I was just, um, speaking, or speaking right now here on the Radical Reverend Show, if you're just tuning in with, uh, with Fizamir, who's, um, Muslim activist, um, teacher and member of our regular faith panel. Um, I was speaking in church that, that every generation of Christians, has felt like, in a sense, they were the last. You know, from the very beginning, they 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 were being tortured and killed, and didn't expect that they might 
live, you know. And then there, there was the bubonic plague. Um, in my own experience, you know, there was the nuclear weapons and possibility of uh, nuclear war. I mean, every generation has kind of dealt with these fears in different ways, but it seems a little bit closer to home right now. So I think that's why people are talking about, are, are your kids talking about it? I'm always interested because I mean, I remember thinking as a kid that I might not grow up because of nuclear weapons. And that was hearing my adults talking around the table. And I'm sure they didn't mean to have that effect on me, but they did, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the news that you would hear then only on television. But, but, you know, what, what are your kids feeling? Yeah, I think there is a sense of, you know, why, why am I studying? Like, what are, what are we really working on here? And reassessing um, whatever you thought your future was going to be, like even in very practical ways, making decisions about our home, where we live, um, you know, a lot, a lot of time we thought it would be more because so many, we were commuting for so long. We're just outside um, the, the core, we're in the GTA. Um, we thought, you know, should we just live closer to the subway line so all of us can commute? And now we're like, no, we actually have land and we may need to, you know, we have a backyard. We may need to grow crops to survive, right? We just don't know where things are going. And these are conversations that that we're having. And I guess you're right. Um, there was a time where we thought, okay, maybe humans won't survive. Maybe our generation won't survive, but the earth will be here. So even if something, you know, a nuclear um an incident was to take place, sure, it might wipe us all out, but there will be a new generation. And I think the difference now is that, wait a minute, like there may not be an earth, right? There may not be anything beyond us. And it is it is scary for young people. But in some ways, I think, um, you know, the blinders of capitalism have been um, taken off. They can see that they've just been used and been told that you get this education and you'll have this career and you'll have a good life. And I think um, a newer generation, you know, we it, it's, it's kind of remarkable in all of the movements and the uprisings that are happening is that, no, they're not falling for that anymore. And they don't want that. They don't want that. They understand that life is beyond materialism, that life is about relationships and you know, what kind of the quality of life is not what we've been sold through a capitalist lens. So that's kind of beautiful. I hope it's not too late. (laughs) Um, You know, I I think about, uh, I remember listening to Naomi Klein saying that, um, you know, there's no room for despair. If you, if you think that this is the end, then just, you know, go away, go, go live in your hole and do what you need to do, but don't bring that negativity because the rest of us are going to fight. And um, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I remember her saying that. And I thought, yeah, that is that is the attitude we need to proceed with. And and I think young people really are, which is which is amazing. It is amazing. Speaking to Fizimir, um, Muslim activist here on the Radical Reverend show. Uh, and uh, and we have to I've asked you this before, Fizim, we've had conversations. But of course, I have to ask again, because, you know, all over Twitter after the attack in France, has been this discussion about jihad again. So tell us please <laughs> about what jihad's really about. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, it's it's frustrating. Of course, it's horrible. Like um, all kinds of, it's horrible to see. It's horrible to, to witness what's happening. It's horrible to see the aftermath of what's gonna happen um, to, to people in France. But yeah, for us, jihad is a struggle. It is an internal struggle. There's a, a clear, um, I, I, I don't know if it's a hadith or ayah in the Quran that says the greatest hijad, the greatest jihad is to speak truth to a tyrant ruler. That is the considered the highest form of jihad. So speaking truth to Trump, to speaking truth to the Saudis, um, you know, when your life is on the line, when your well-being is on the line is the highest form of jihad. 
Um, so we definitely need more of that. We need speaking truth to what's happening around us. Um, yeah, it's horrendous to see. But again, I think that, you know, things are contextualized the way that the West wants them to be. Um, we don't see the murders and killings. And we didn't see any footage of the two women, two Muslim women that were stabbed under the Eiffel Tower. Um, just, you know, violence is just out of control. And I think um, we, we have to get better at looking at who the, who the real perpetrators are and how they're setting communities against each other and, and speaking about that. Absolutely. And, and, and also, I think, you know, we who are people of faith, of different faiths, um, and I said this, uh, is we have to look at our own, too, and be, be very aware uh, that, that the truths of our, of our faith come out and not mm-hmm. the distortions. Um, so I've, I've always felt a part of my call to, to speak about Christofascism and to speak about the Christian right and how that is not Christian and not right. Um, and, and again, it's a call upon all of us because, uh, because certainly um, true terror is, it has been perpetrated by all of our face. And, um, the, and it's not acceptable and it's not faithful and it's not representative. So mm-hmm. that just has mm-hmm. to be said. Um, let's let's talk about tyrants um, in our minutes left because uh, this uh, this show is broadcast on the radio on the eve of a momentous election. It feels like the most momentous election um, that I've experienced south of the border. And uh, there's all sorts of violence attached to it. People are talking civil war and reaction and no matter what happens, you know there's going to be a struggle and and this is following, um, the incredible uprisings of Black Lives Matter uh, have, that had some effect, but not nearly enough. Uh, when you look south of the border, when you see what's happening down there, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it is very scary. Obviously, America sets the tone for what's happening all around the world. And I would agree that um, it's hard to see beyond. Uh, I mean, I, 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 I'm obviously want to be hopeful. I'm reading, you know, thank you to Black Lives Matter for teaching me about abolitionist um, thinking and frameworks and looking in that way. I think what, even if we don't have a Donald Trump government, it's still going to be a pretty horrendous government. Um, I, so I don't know. I don't, I want to be hopeful and think that we can build in community. And I think that that's what's happening. I think that people are finally starting to see beyond electoral politics um, and are seeing voting as sort of harm mitigation, I will engage because I have to, but also knowing that that is not going to solve the real problems that we need to solve. Um, so that's what's scary. Um, and, I, and I'm also concerned about Canadians sort of resting on their laurels and feeling like, okay, well, at least we're not that because we, are, we very much have the potential to head in that direction as we can see from our provincial politics. Um, yeah, it, it's quite scary what's happening in Alberta and all of the funding and attacks on workers that are happening there and Ontario as well. Um, and it's a slippery slope. And I'm, I'm hoping in all of our circles that we're doing that consciousness raising and making connections between um, white supremacy, but also the attack on working people and um, why that's something that just we have to resist with everything we have. We can't really sit. And, and COVID has forced us to do that, right? Um, 
I don't know. I, I wish I could be hopeful. I do. I am hopeful in the movements. I'm hopeful in the generation that seems to be um, fearless, right? And and my my daughter showed me a tweet that really made me laugh. And she said, you know, this is the generation that will fight police, but can't kill the spider in their room. And I was like, it's so true. It is very true because I get called in to take care of centipedes. Um, but you know, my my daughter was stopped on a on a public transit by a police officer to show her ID because she, the university that she goes to offers um, uh, free passes for students. And she was uh, told to not just her, but everybody was on, on the, on the, on the bus was targeted. And she said, no, I told them I'm not showing you. I already showed the bus driver. I don't need, and she, you know, she was talking back to them. And my first instant was like, don't talk back. <laughs> right. Like just, and she's like, why he was practically my age. And I'm like, I don't have to show him my, that's not his job. And I already, so I, I was just like, you know, this is a different generation. Um, they're not going to sit back and take things. And, uh, that's hopeful. I find hope, hope in that. Truly there is hope in that. Um, and, and again, what are you hearing from Muslims south of the border in terms of what's happening to them and the rise of, all sorts of hatreds. I mean, I, I, I had this conversation with, uh, with my left, left or leftist panel, you know, law and disorder panel about, you know, Trump and Biden, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I said, you know, yes, I get it's lesser, lesser evilism, but if you think about being a woman or being LGBTQ or being, uh, you know, black, uh, you're talking about your personal safety here too. So mm -hmm. let's get rid of the tyrant and then let's keep working. Yeah. Uh, what are you hearing? Yeah. And I think, I think that's a fear in the Muslim community as well in that um, there is a respectability politics that offers a certain safety. And I'm scared of Muslims in Canada and the U.S. of falling back into that to say, okay, actually, no, we can align with Biden because um, we're going to be kept safe if we're of a particular class um, of Muslims. And I hope that we don't fall back into that because I think we've had a lot of progress in identifying that none of us are safe until all of us are safe um, and understanding that all of these um, other movements that people want to consider fringe are so integral to our own safety and all of our safety. Um, so what scares me most about Biden is that people will feel a certain self, a, a sense of safety only because they're not so explicitly attacked. But we know that the institutions um, that are kept in place by Biden uh, are unsafe for all of us, right? Um, so I, I'm concerned that we're gonna have to have those conversations all over again because there are Muslims in power that just want to be comfortable over there and over here, right? Who are comfortable with liberal politics because it protects them. I'm, I'm involved in a group in Moulton. Um, you may know that uh, the Moulton People's Movement and Ijaz Chaudhry was shot by um, police. And I look at the Muslims there and in that community, um, in working class, new immigrants. And I'll tell you right now that um, middle-class Muslims don't care about them, right? They're not at our that they're not at our banquets. They're not really a second thought. Um, Middle-class Muslims are concerned about talking about Islamophobia in a way that just makes sure that they're okay, right? Still aligning themselves with liberal politicians that are not really going to worry about um, the lower classes. So that's already happened here. We know that our proximity to money and whiteness protects us. And unfortunately, um, I'm hoping we're not falling into like everyone for themselves because that, that's just going to be the worst scenario for everyone. Speaking to Fizzamir here on the Radical Reverend show, um, I like you uh, see great hope in what, I, what I'm calling the uprising and others are too. 
but the resistance to what's going on. And, and we really, at this point, need to give a shout out to, you know, 1492, Land Back Lane in Caledonia, mm -hmm. our own indigenous uh, here fighting for on their land, for their yeah. land against police. And of course, in Nova Scotia, the Mi'kmaq there, you know, again, fighting for their legal fishing rights against yeah. racists and with no help from the police whatsoever. And the Wet'suwet'en fighting its government for its right. land on the West Coast. So this is happening as we speak here and, uh, and puts the lie to all of the, you know, sort of phony land acknowledgements that you hear politicians engage in without yeah. doing anything about the land. <laughs> so just a shout out to them because, uh, they're very much there, but uh, but the hope is in them being there. In a sense, the hope is in them resisting, and mm -hmm. then all of the resistance that we see coast to coast to coast, which is which is good here. But we also see that that and speaking to somebody else about this on another interview, um, the rise of that kind of you know right wing um, white supremacy within the conservative party, as well in a way that I don't recall it having grown up in this country. I don't recall it being that kind of social conservatism being so outrageous, so kind of Trumpism. It's a kind mm -hmm. of Trumpism, right? Um, mm -hmm. Of course, it's not only residing with him, but we are seeing more of that within the Conservative Party. I mean, I'm thinking provincially, but also federally too, um, the kind of votes that uh, wouldn't have happened, you know, a while back. But I mean, again, um, it's it's something to be aware of as well as the resistance to it. There seems to be yeah. a demarcation there. So, so we just got a couple of, of, of minutes left. So I'm gonna give this to you. Sure. And and what where's the hope? Tell us the hope, Fizza, the hope coming out of your faith, because you're a person of faith. Why do you have faith? Why is there hope in faith? Well, there's hope because I I see young people reassessing and reanalyzing and trusting themselves and looking for information and contextualizing what they're told and seeing like the disparities in what they're told and what they actually see on the ground, right? And making their own um, judgments. And that that's so important because I think um, we are of a generation that was relatively new coming to Canada and we kind of were following what we were told to follow. And now it, it's quite different. And they're also seeing, like you said, about the conservatives. I think that that's very, yeah, it's a scary, explicit way that they're proceeding. But at the same time, I feel like the implicit, um, less direct ways in some ways are more scary because we have liberals, of course, as you said, paying lip service to all kinds of Indigenous um, rights, but then, of course, quashing them every, every chance they get. So I think young people are seeing through that. You know, that facade has been lifted and they're saying this is not a political party that uh, represents any kind of justice or values. And, and there's hope in that. There's And I can tell you from my students, too, like really great conversations where um, they're not they're not really um, beholden to the corporate media anymore. They have all other sources. They have uh, they have stories coming right out of the Micmac through social media so they don't have to listen to what CBC is telling them. <laughs> Which is wonderful. And, and I want to thank you, Fizza. So here on this uh, Halloween, post-Halloween edition of the Radical Reverend, um, thank you for, for words of hope and, uh, and have a wonderful weekend, whatever you decide to do. You too. <laughs> you too. Take care. Bye-bye.